Good morning. We are so glad that you are here at Central Church today. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we're in this series called Fruitful, and it is, as Adeline just read for us from Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We started last week and we were talking about how, how Paul says that the, he doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit, rather the fruit of the Spirit, singular. That the, there is, the fruit of the Spirit is one in essence, but nine in expression. And really the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit-filled life. How do we know a person has been filled with the Spirit? It is evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in their life. So this isn't like uh, going to Meyer or Kroger and picking out a little more love this week and boy, next week I'm gonna need some kindness so I better get it then. And that's not it. It's not a, a grit your teeth and, and you know, determine that you're gonna be more loving or more kind or more good or whatever. No, it's allowing God's spirit to work deep within you to do something new and fresh and ongoing. In, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes this, So those who belong in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's the Spirit-filled life we're talking about. And really, these qualities, these uh, expressions of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and the rest, are really the characteristics of God Almighty himself. God is loving, God is 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 joyful god brings peace god is certainly patient he's been patient with me he's kind and good and faithful and gentle and again he showed a lot of control when it comes to me and my life and probably you and yours so these this fruit of the spirit is the spirit-filled life it's the life qualities of the spirit-filled believers so that they might be what's our goal to be more like jesus right in Luke chapter 10, we're going to circle back to Luke 10 in a little bit, but in Luke chapter 10, there's an interesting phrase that describes Jesus. Jesus in Luke 10 has sent out the 72 uh, people, 36 teams, two by two, to go out and spread the good news. And they come back, and this is how Luke just, in one brief sentence, not even a full sentence, describes Jesus. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what I want for you. I want you to experience the joy that comes from being full of the Holy Spirit. A joy that, that isn't here today and gone tomorrow, but rather a joy that lasts. A joy that's real. A joy that cannot be taken away by someone or something, but a joy that's deep, deep, deep in our bones. I want you to not only uh, hear about joy or think about, but to experience joy. You see, our God is a, a joyful God. Every, every one of our preschoolers who goes through Discovery and Pastor Wendy, they learn one verse, they learn this verse. And if you haven't been through Discovery area, you should. Thank you for your imagined giving because it looks great back there. But all of our children, they learn this. What's well, the one verse, first verse probably that most kids learn? God is love, right? We all know that. God is love. Well, I'm here to proclaim God is also joyful. We serve a joyful God. And if you were to read, uh, John Ortberg uh, wrote a piece on, 
on if God created the way so many of us, too many of us, approach life. That is not very joyful. So he, he tried to write the, the uh, Genesis story if God were not a joyful God. And this is what he wrote. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock. So God had to go to work. He didn't want to, but he did. And he began the day by filling out the proper requisition form to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies. <sighs> but it sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done and he said, well, it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land and he made all the dry land flat and plain and functional so that behold, the whole earth looked like Nebraska. <laughs> Sorry, Cornhusker fans. He thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth the trouble and effort. So God looked at what he had done and that day and said, well, you'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly and a carp to swim in the waters and a cat to creep upon the dry ground. God thought about making millions of other species, all sizes, shapes, and colors, but he couldn't drum up the enthusiasm for any other animals. In fact, he wasn't too crazy about the cat. <laughs> Besides, a good TV show was about to start, so God looked at what he had done, and he said, well, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out, so he breathed a big sigh of relief and said, thank me, it's Friday. Genesis looks nothing like that, does it? It's, 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 and God said, and it was so, and it was very good. It, you get the feeling that when God was creating, it was like almost the next day, oh, I can't wait for tomorrow. This day was great, but wait till we see what happens tomorrow. And, and it exudes joy. It's full of joy. And God wants you to be joyful too. Too many, too many of us who claim Jesus Christ act like we've been, you know, bopped on the head with a grumpy stick or something. I don't know if we've just caught up in all the troubles of the world and we look at all the bleak stuff and we watch our favorite news channel and that gets us down instead of being in God's work. And it's just, you know, grump, grump, grump. It's kind of like the guy whose neighbor was just so grumpy, always not, he could find the black lining on every silver cloud. And so this guy, he got a dog. It was a great hunting dog. In fact, it was a miraculous hunting dog. No dog ever liked it before. And he thought, my neighbor can't, he can't find anything wrong with this dog. And so they went out hunting, duck hunting. And, and they were, he said, the dog pointed, you know, stood, stood point for an hour. And he could scent birds a mile away. And finally, the guy shot a duck. It was in the middle, way out in the middle of the pond. And that dog took off running, ran right on the water, ran on the water, grabbed the duck, brought it back, dropped it right at the master's feet, lickety-split. Guy looked at his neighbor and said, what do, you, what, what do you think of that? His neighbor said, huh, dog can't swim, can he? That's just stupid. I'm sorry, that didn't happen. Stupid. But the point is, too many of us who claim Christ are living such unjoyful life. My brothers and sisters, that, that should not be us. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. Sure, all of us could be happy. You know, give me a million dollars, I'll be happy. Give me a, a sports car, I'll be happy. I'll crash it, but before I crash it, I'll be happy. 
You know, let the Lions win the Super Bowl. Al, we'll be so happy when that happens. Chick-fil-A coming to Flint. But you know, Carla has told me I can't eat Chick-fil-A every meal. Here's a secret. She doesn't even like Chick-fil-A. I know, I know. You're questioning her Christianity. I have too. (laughs) But all that stuff, you'll blow the million dollars, the car will rust out or give out or crash. You know, the Lions win the Super Bowl. Next season, they'll probably be back in the familiar spot. You know how it goes. But joy... Joy is not based on my outward circumstance. Joy is based on on my inward experience. The inward experience of God crucifying that old sinful nature and replacing it with his forming me, shaping me into the person he has longed for me to be, to long for you to be. God Almighty doing a work in us. It's not gritting our teeth. All right, I'm going to be more joyful today. No, it's allowing God's spirit to be at work in you. So much so that you could be like what James wrote about in James chapter one, right at the start of his book. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. Are you kidding me, James? Consider it pure joy when I face trials? No, consider it pure joy when I avoid all trials. That's what I'll consider pure joy, when I never have a a trial. That's pure joy. But that's not what he wrote. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Listen, my friend, we're talking about a joy that trials, that troubles can't rob you of. A joy that no matter what is happening on the outside, I can have joy on the inside. It's the joy that Paul speaks of in Philippians chapter 4. Remember what he said? Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord occasionally. Rejoice in the Lord every third Friday. Rejoice in the Lord once a year on your birthday. No, he said rejoice in the Lord always. And where was he at when he wrote it? A Roman prison. He didn't know if the next day was going to be his last day. And yet he still says rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear that, I say it again, rejoice. We're talking about having joy, a joy that is deep and sure. What's the, what's the cause of all that? Well, circle back. I told you we'd circle back to Luke 10. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out these uh, 72, 36 teams. And he tells them, you know, to proclaim the good news. And, and he tells at the beginning of Luke 10, he says, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few, so you got to get out there. And these guys go out there. And they, I mean, I don't know what happened because Luke doesn't even record it. Luke's telling the story of Jesus, not these 72 people, but they go out there and they have an amazing, powerful effect. And they come back, verse 17 says, and the 72 returned with joy, they've got joy, and said, Lord, you're not gonna believe this. Even the demons submitted to us in your name. Wow, Lord, it was powerful, it was moving. Even the demons, wow, it was just so great. And Jesus, he almost throws water on the, you know, on their enthusiasm. Because this is what he says. Boys, are you kidding me? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. What are you talking about? However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you. 
But what are we to rejoice in? Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the rejoice, not all the good things you did even, not even the good things you did in my name. Rejoice that your name is written down in heaven. How can we have joy in pure trials? How can Paul say, rejoice, I say it again, rejoice, because he knew my name is written down in heaven. What can man do to me? My name is written down in heaven. How much trouble is going on here? I know this, my name is written down in heaven. That's how he could say that. Rejoice, a joy that is real and true and sure and deep. Jesus, just a few pages later in Luke 15, talks about when a person becomes a believer. And he says what happens when that occurs. In Luke 15, he says, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoice. Sometimes I tell folks when, I, when uh, I, I lead them and they accept Christ and start to become a Christ follower, I said, you know what happened? I said, you just caused a party in heaven. There's balloons, there's banners with your name on it. Everyone is rejoicing. They're having a party because you have found Jesus. Rejoice. <sighs> this should characterize the, 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 the kingdom of God. This should be who we are. Paul in Romans 14 said it this way, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, sorry Chick-fil-A, even the sugar-free lemonade, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what should characterize us. We're doing the right thing, we're being peacemakers, we're spreading joy. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God, you wanna make God happy, you live with righteousness, peace, and joy, and receives human approval. I think what that means is receives human approval is even unbelievers. When they see us going through trials or tough times, because stuff happens to everybody. And when they see that, and instead of responding the way the rest of the world does, oh me, woe is me, what's going on? When they see instead righteousness and peace and joy, even they have to scratch their head and say, wow, what is going on here? It's, it's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, the 120 are up in the upper room, they're praying for the Holy Spirit. They don't even know what they're praying for, really, the, just the promised one, the comforter. They don't know exactly what that means. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, whoosh. And what happened? They poured out of that upper room and onto the streets of Jerusalem, and they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what people thought? Verse 13 says, some, however, some made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They're drunk. They're drunk, and Peter gets up to preach his first sermon, right? I have never had to say this before any of my sermons, but Peter had to. He said, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. I'm not drunk. I haven't had a date with Jack Daniels. I am here and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Too many people, I think, have the illusion that when their life circumstance changes, then they'll be happy. When I graduate, then I'll be happy. Or if single, if I get married, then I'll be happy. When they're married, if we have kids, then I'll be happy. And you have kids, when the kids move out, then I'll be happy. <laughs> but then when they move out, you say, man, I wish they were back home. I think I was happier then. And we wait, we wait, we wait. What does the psalmist say in Psalm 118? You know this verse. 
For this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He didn't say, the psalmist didn't write, yesterday was a really good day the Lord made. I was happy then. And he didn't say, tomorrow will be the day the Lord has made and I'll endure until then. No, he said, today, today is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. So the big question is, really the thing we got to wrestle with, is what if I'm not experiencing joy? I want joy. I want, I want to be a joyful Christian. I, but how can Paul write, rejoice in the Lord always, while he's sitting in a Roman prison, not knowing if today is his last day? How can James say, say consider it pure joy when you face trials? Because that doesn't happen with me. That's a good question, don't you think? The answer is really the same as last week's answer. Last week we were talking about love. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And you're thinking, I don't even like my neighbor. Love your enemies. Oh, I kind of hate those guys. He said, it's not a matter of gritting your teeth and saying, all right, I'll be loving, I'll be loving. I don't want to, I'll be loving. No, it's allowing God to do that sanctifying, cleansing work so you can be in step with the Spirit. And as a result, you're more loving. Same thing with joy. Same exact thing. It's not gritting your teeth. All right, I'll be joyful even though I'm going through these hard times. It's allowing God to do a work, a sanctifying work, a cleansing work deep in your soul so you can be in step with the Spirit and He can bring joy and remind you once again, no matter what you're going through, my name is written down in heaven. I can rejoice. My name is written down in heaven. I can rejoice even though I don't, I don't know what's going on around me. My name is written down in heaven and I can be like Isaiah in chapter 55 where he says you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. We sing this song sometimes. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will what? They'll clap their hands. Going out with joy. I want to go out with joy, you say. I want that to characterize me. I want to be able to, to rejoice and know that my name is written in heaven and, and like I do so many times at funerals, I'll go back to Revelation 21 and remind them that in heaven there's no mourning or sickness or death and, everything, and God is our God and will be with us for always. But the big question is, what if you're not, what if life is hard? And what if you don't really feel like being very joyful? Well, Jesus, in talking to his disciples in John 16, Remember, John 16 is the night before uh, the crucifixion. Jesus giving the last, last, last final instructions. And he says this to the disciples. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Amen. That's what I want for you. I, I want you to experience the joy that comes through life and living in the Spirit so that no one can take away your joy. Pastor, but things have taken away my joy. And it's true. Some in this room, you've had your joy at least muted. Can I say it that way? And there's several things that can cause that. I, I, life and problems and grief and sickness, mental wellness, all of those things can rob us of our joy. And maybe we need to do a little fruit examination. Say, where is my joy? And if I'm not experiencing, why am I not experiencing it? 
And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is mental health issues. And let me just say, I've known some great Christians. They love Jesus with all their heart. They're, they're, they're doing all the things of Galatians 5, you know, crucify the Spirit, and they're in step with the Spirit, and all those things, and they still battle depression, clinical depression. And it doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus. It means that you're human. And I've known Christians who've had high blood pressure, and I know Christians that have heart problems, and I know Christians that, <laughs> I know one Christian pretty well that has migraines every single day. And I've taken all sorts, every drug you can possibly take and all sorts of different remedies, and guess what? Still got them every day. But you know what? I still have joy. I know my name is written down in glory. Can't rob me of that. And so sometimes some preachers will get up and they talk about depression or mental health issues and they say, you know, just bump your head on the altar, you know, enough times, bump it, bump it, bump it, bump it, and, you know, then it'll be gone. Can I just say, can I just say it? That's just garbage sometimes people struggle with mental health issues and they're not less than Christians in fact if anything I think they're more than because they're hanging on to Jesus for dear life when everything in their brain is saying give up on Jesus give up on Jesus they're saying no the one thing I know is I've got Jesus and I'm not giving up on him and I know my name is written down in heaven and I may be struggling and life may be hard but the one thing I'm holding on to is Jesus don't tell me they're less than Christians they're more than Christians so sometimes mental health issues can mute our joy for sure you gotta hold on to Jesus sometimes it's sin it's just flat out sin that can rob us of our joy It's what happened to David. You know, David, after his affair with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he's just pouring out. He's asking God for forgiveness. He begins, have mercy on me, O God. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. But the part I want you to get is down in verse 10 when he says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, I need you to restore my joy. And my joy has been robbed and it has been taken, but Lord, I want to serve you. I want to rejoice that my name is written down in heaven and so restore my joy. So sometimes our joy can be muted, masked by mental wellness issues. And sometimes our joy can be stolen because of just flat out sin but sometimes for most of us it's just life and it may be that your life has been hard and maybe you are dealing with sickness or maybe you're dealing with a loved one that's been sick or maybe you're dealing with aging parents or maybe your kids are wayward and you wake up and you say man oh man i'm not feeling very joyous today lord i got all this junk going on and it's not, it's not, you know, making me shout and clap my hands like the trees. There's a verse. There's a verse for you. It's buried in the Old Testament. You know this verse. You may not know the book or the chapter or the verse. You may not know the address, the Bible address, but you know these words. They're found in Nehemiah chapter 8. Remember Nehemiah. That's when Nehemiah went in. The walls of Jerusalem were all destroyed. And Nehemiah goes in and miraculously, in 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Couldn't have happened other than God. Miracle, miracle, miracle. And so Nehemiah 8, the walls are all built. 
and they all gather for a worship service. And in and, and, and Nehemiah 8, these people hadn't heard, get this, they hadn't heard God's word read publicly for 200 years. So none of them had ever heard it read publicly, and they show up. They show up at dawn, the Bible says. And for six hours, they're part of this worship service. You get mad at me when I preach, you know, 35 minutes. Six hours! Just hearing Ezra, the high priest, read the book of the law that they had never heard read publicly before. There's, there's, not only are they there for six hours, they're there standing for six hours. You get mad at Joel when he makes you stand for four choruses. So they're standing, they're hearing the word for six hours from dawn until noon, and they're weeping. They're weeping. Because they know what their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and on and on and on had all fallen away and been unfaithful, but God was faithful and he was faithful again and the walls were built and they're saying, man, we want to get our lives back together again and they're weeping, they're weeping. And Nehemiah calls, goes to the people and this is what he says. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said this, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks. That's the sweetened lemonade at Chick-fil-A. And some, some of those, to, to, to those who have nothing prepared, be a good neighbor, help those that need. For this day is holy to the Lord, do not grieve. And this is what I want you to get. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you don't feel it, when you don't see it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you don't know what's going to happen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know your name is written down in heaven. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Even when things are going lousy, even when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your name is written down in heaven. Brothers and sisters... God didn't put us here just to be crab apples. He put us here to be joyous. He wants you to be joyous even in those difficult times, even in those times you don't have an answer, even when you don't see it and it's dark. It's saying, I know this. God is on the throne. He has put me here. He loves me. He cares for me. He's going to see me through. The joy of the Lord is, it's not me. It's the joy of the Lord that's my strength. Jesus loves you. He'll see you through any storm. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's why I love participating in communion. And hopefully you picked up one of these little peel and stick or whatever communions because when we participate in communion it reminds us it reminds us of the verse you know taste and see that the Lord is good and when we drink a little bit of juice or eat this styrofoam that we call bread <laughs> it reminds us it's going to be a whole lot better in heaven than this styrofoam no, it reminds us that Jesus loves us. Amen. That he came to this world. By his wounds, we are healed. The one thing I do like about this styrofoam bread is you can snap it. Let me put it next to my microphone. Did you hear that? 
when I hear that, it reminds me that by his wounds, I am healed. Jesus was broken for us. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus came for us, not just so that we would endure, but so that we would experience his joy, joy through the Holy Spirit, being in step with the Spirit. Take this little bit of bread. Eat it and rejoice. And this juice, it's supposed to be grape juice. I hope it is. There may be a hint of grape in there. It reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for you. Not just you. Every person you see. That guy that cut you off on the highway going home. The waitress that will serve you lunch. The homeless guy that you see on the street. The guy that lives and the lady that lives in the mansion. Jesus' blood was shed for every single one of them. And the good thing I love about communion, because I'm not a particular fan of grape juice, to be real honest. The only time I drink it is this little bit once a month. But it reminds me when I do drink it, when I do taste it, it reminds me again, Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus' blood was shed for me. And my name is written down in heaven. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. Drink this and rejoice. Lord, you called us to be your people. And that doesn't mean that life is going to be trouble-free. Serving you does not mean that, that it's just a walk in the park. In fact, Jesus, you said in this world you will have trouble. You just flat out told us we're going to have some problems. But you've also reminded us again and again that we can consider it pure joy when facing trials. That we can, like Paul, even in a prison cell, say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Not because our circumstances are great, because we know our name is written down in heaven. That this old world isn't the end. That you've got more for us, much, much more for us. And that you'll be with us. And even when we don't have strength and we don't know where we're going to go or how we're going to make it, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You're going to see us through. So help us, Lord, to live in step with the Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be lined up with the Spirit. Do that crucifying, sanctifying, cleansing work in us so that the evidence would be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Help us to be your people, Lord, and all we say and do in Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.